Yo, what's good? Welcome to Counter Currents. I'm your host, Petey Steele. And I'm your co-host, Elena Torres. And our guest today, you know, what can, what can I say? This is a person who, you know, when you're, when you have people who are sort of like younger than you in comedy, you see them around, but a lot of time they go later than you in the lineup. So you don't get to see them perform that much. And when you do, you know, a lot of times it's when they're really new, but then suddenly you haven't seen someone in a year and a half and you see them and they're fucking so, so funny. So this next guest, the last time I saw her do comedy, I was crying laughing. It was so cool to see. And all the other comics in the back that we could not stop laughing at all of your jokes. So everybody, please welcome the hilarious Caitlin McDevitt. Hi. Yay. Yay. Thanks Hi. so much for doing this. Uh, I, you're very welcome. This meteoric uh, rise of you in the, uh, the comedy scene has been fun to watch. And I always knew you yeah. had it. First time I met you, I was uh, judging that capital shuffle or whatever that thing is where, you, you know, we rate jokes. They never had me back again. I think my advice had. Um, but <laughs> I remember liking a lot of your writing and the alliterative and profane nature of it. I mean, that's shifted a little bit maybe, but maybe not. Tell us more. Uh, that was the comedy shuffle used to be at beer Baron on Mondays. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you did a great job. I don't know why Jack didn't have you back. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not in charge of booking the shufflers. Um, I have always liked the shuffle. I started doing it in the beginning and it was a good place to like try out new stuff so i tried to have new stuff on on mondays um i uh <laughs> i started a while ago it feels like it was a very long time ago it feels like it was a different person ago i tried on a lot of personalities when i first got to dc before i settled on comedy um <laughs> that's interesting where are you what from originally uh, i grew up in idaho Boise, Idaho, and then I went to college up in Moscow, and then I uh, wasn't ready to go to law school, and I was like, hmm, where else can I hang out with a bunch of people who own boat shoes and polos? I'll go to D.C. Um, yeah. And uh, I started working on the Hill, and I was, for like the first time in my life, I was mildly interesting, and it was life-changing I, I was finally like a funny interesting person because the bar is really low on capitol hill <laughs> for interesting that's true yeah because in, in idaho i was sorry my house is insane no you're good you're good in idaho was, i was very boring and like career oriented and that's very abnormal um and then I came here and I wasn't as uh, cutthroat as everyone else. And um, it, I just, everything became absurd and I couldn't stop laughing at how dumb everything was. And I started writing and then I worked up some guts and I, I got on stage. Um, I used to work at a, at a theater company over the summer. So I liked, I liked stage stuff. I'd, I'd only done acting and things which is obviously very different than stand-up, but. Where was your first mic at? Uh, I think I did Wonderland as like a bringer. Oh, that show. was mine too. And I, I like didn't even use up the whole five minutes. I had written a bunch of jokes about how 
applying for jobs made me feel really sleazy. Like I was on Craigslist marketplace uh-huh. <laughs> and I was all about how I didn't have any friends and I couldn't get a job. And I was like, like- so nervous. <laughs> Well, I think we all we all were nervous that that first time. Isn't DC funny that way? Like DC is such a specific city. Like you're talking about how you came from Idaho, and you're like, oh, finally, people care. That's kind of how I felt about coming from LA in the entertainment industry with like hotness. You know, like I was like best friend hot for TV, and then I came to DC, and it was like, wow, she's a smoke show. Your main like, character. Hell, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> everyone the bar is very low here yeah both both attractiveness and and interestingness right 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 for like obviously there are are pockets but where i was it was it was everyone had the exact same handshake is like the only way i know how to describe it right uh like i was meeting the same guys at receptions because i didn't have a lot of cash so i was going to capitol hill receptions with tupperware and i would i would shove like cheese in my purse nice. and then I would I would like have to like small talk with everybody while I was trying to like drink beer and shove cheese in my purse right and it was hilarious to me that like I was the same level as qualified as everyone else and we were in charge of secretly running the country and I was just standing there eating fake cheese and talking to the same guy from Ohio every week and I kept t- I kept bringing up like meth rates for some reason I was like very upset that everyone wanted to talk about potatoes because I was from Idaho right. so I'm not from the right state so it's like it's hard to small talk apparently right and I wasn't ready to talk about the weather because I like just finished college so I wanted to be interesting and instead I was just doing these act outs of meth commercials I don't know where you guys <laughs> I don't know if you had this where you were but we had a rampant meth problem so there was commercials on tv about not doing it you know, I mean, we're close about. enough to Baltimore that we got to see a few of them on the side of public transport buses and such. But um, no, not in D.C. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up in Mexico. We just sold it. Yeah. <laughs> you had the different kind of commercials. Right, right, right. <laughs> like how to make money now. Uh... <laughs> well, so that's interesting. So you're running the country secretly and you can't afford your own smelly cheeses. Yeah. I mean, I was an, I was an intern at the time. So I really just spent a lot of time getting very worried about like security. Like I, I spent a lot of time going through like metal detectors and being like, if I had something would, is anyone going to catch it? So like, I, I didn't have, I didn't have a job at that point. I was just interning, mm-hmm. but yeah, they, they let you in way too many places. I didn't go through a background check to be an intern. I just walked up. And they were like, here's a badge. You can go to any part of the Capitol building. I was like, do you, should I, should I be allowed in every part of the Capitol building? You don't know me. Wow. So when you say like all these people are running the country, because I'm guessing like all the interns and aides and all these people are the ones like doing all the work. Is it kind of like entertainment where also the aides and these people sort of like design the personality that the public eye sees you know sort of like sort of like how i mean i love beyonce but beyonce is not real like that's just a there's like huge teams of people that decide that so it varies like member to member so like some are very like they know what they want to talk about and then the staff sort of handles everything else so like i worked for a member who like 
really cared about nuclear energy and the appropriations committee. And if you weren't willing to talk to them about those two things, he like as a person didn't care as much. So the staff came up with like, how else are we going to get him to care about these other things? But like, mm-hmm. he as an individual really only cared about two or three things. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the staff is like, people write in a thousand questions and you have to be able to like respond to all of them. So it's similar in entertainment in that most people really only care about one or two things. And there has to be a team of people that's like, you now care that people are eating horses. I know that you don't, (laughs) but people are upset about it. So you have to now have an opinion. Right. So the team is more, is a little bit more puppet master, the same entertainment. It's the same. Like a lot of, a lot of team members, you know, sort of are in charge and tell a lot of, a lot of these stars have people that make all these sort of decisions yeah for them in many ways interesting interesting so in the idaho office what do they care about there what are the two big constituent things other than potatoes uh the reason we have a big potato thing is because in the 1970s we had a pr firm that came in and was like you guys are now potato people and we said great for the record (laughs) we produce a lot of dairy i'm from the part of the state that is very cow and dairy heavy so when i think of home i think of dairy Mm -hmm. uh we export all our potatoes we import we make so much money selling the idaho brand Mm -hmm. that we don't eat any of our own products but uh nuclear energy like i mentioned is is a very big deal we have a we have a big nuclear uh experiment reactor facility we have the first town in idaho is the first town in the country that was entirely powered by nuclear energy Mm-hmm. Um, and dairy and beef, um, a lot of ag and tourism a lot lately because all of California is trying to get in there. Um, I've noticed that. <laughs> I've noticed so many people from LA like suddenly spending large amounts of time in Idaho. I mean, not not that I know this person, but I was like, I really like goop. Gwyneth Paltrow's yeah. whole thing. We can go in the vagina that. candle. Yeah, right. And th- exactly. And their fashion editor just like did a whole article spread about her wearing clothes and how she's spending the quarantine in Idaho. It looked beautiful. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of mixed reactions when you're, um, cause some people are like, we don't want the tourists. Like we have to keep Idaho for us. And you're like, well, right. it's not really ours. You know, we right. stole it so we can be cool about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> then, it, like mentally the state really thinks of itself as an agriculture place mm-hmm. but we've we've had to lean much more into service industry as like we pivot away from like logging and timber and stuff like that mm-hmm. um but it is a big divide because californians and rich people want to come in to a place that's established and is like ready for them but it pulls a lot of resources away from small communities and like rural communities so like the biggest problem in idaho is not you know like healthcare in general, like healthcare insurance, it's like access to healthcare. It's going to take you four hours to get to a hospital. Right. We don't even care how you're paying for it. Like, how do you get to the hospital? Like we don't have like mental health is a huge problem. We're seventh highest in suicide rates because we just don't have enough people to, if you like call in and need help, it's going to take too long to like get you where you need to be. In addition to all of the other existing problems in healthcare structure is like mm-hmm. is access to like that a place. So mm-hmm. of all the resources kind of been relocated to like the Sun Valley or whatever, where the rich people go and like John Terry. <laughs> um, so Sun Valley or, or like Ketchum, which is the like town around Sun Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's, it's mostly in Boise. And then there's also a big pocket up near like Coeur d'Alene. But Sun Valley is, is a lot more like temporary tourism. So that's, uh, everyone's, everyone's lived there. Like Bruce Willis had a house there and like Robin Williams used to stay there. And like, that's our like big flashy. But a lot of people are coming into like the Boise. We call it the Treasure Valley. That's like Boise Meridian, Nampa, Star, Eagle. I turn into a little ambassador for a state I want less people to move to. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to ask that, you know, you talk about how you had sort of like some relief when you moved to DC. What was it like growing up there? Like, w- were your parents in agriculture? Did you grow up like farm style? Um, or was it totally different? Like what? Little of both. Uh, so my mom's from Laurel, Maryland out here. My grandparents okay. are still here. Mm-hmm. And they, they met here and they had a house in Hyattsville. So I was born here. Oh, but nice. we moved um, when I was little because there was like, I don't know, a road rage incident. And my mother was like, we're done. Mm-hmm. Wrap it up. We're getting out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up <laughs> on what we call a hobby farm. So my grandfather uh, was a judge and then he retired, but was like really into owning a farm and like getting paid and like half a pig or whatever. So when he was downgrading from judge and transitioning to just private practice, he like bought a bunch of land. And so it's a hobby farm and then it doesn't make money in that that's not our like nine to five job, but it's a hobby farm in that like I've castrated a goat and like I've raised it to eat it. Like, so like I- No way. It's like tiny rubber bands. Um, we also had chickens. We didn't eat the chickens because my mom was too emotionally attached to them. More the chickens than the goats? Yeah. Chickens are weirdly cuter. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> yeah, goats don't have much personality, you know? Yeah, but you come no, they, up and you feed them and they, like, eat your shirt. Yeah, right? but they weren't milk goats. We didn't touch them every day. They okay. ate They ate everything. Mm-hmm. And they had a really great, like, four or five years. And mm-hmm. then, and then we ate them. <laughs> yeah. They're like the Rip Van Winkles, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're um, real amped and disgusting. We had a llama that, because we have mountain lions or like cougars or, or whatever uh-huh. in the area, because I'm on the edge of town. So we got a llama because llamas are like the only creature that like really will attack back that like mountain lions are scared of. Really? And they wow. will bond minimally with the goats they don't really like them but they're like you can stand behind me while i scream at this cougar nice (laughs) and we had two we had dolly the llama obviously and then obama the llama because okay (laughs) we're geniuses (laughs) (laughs) and we transitioned out of goats and now we have like three cows Uh uh-huh it's it's mostly alfalfa yeah, we eat, we eat them. Um, we we eat them. No, we don't do milking because that's that's a lot of daily tasks. It's more Stop like it. we're thinking year round. So we do yeah. alfalfa and grass, and it we we sell it to other people, and it basically pays for like next year's crop and any maintenance on like tractors and stuff. It, yeah. It's just like a cutting even for right. fun skis. Right, right. And then we had like um like a greenhouse and raised bed, so and a vineyard, very small. A vineyard. That's, I feel uh, like that's fancy. We had like, we had 10 rows of grapes. Don't think like, like a big, okay. it's very, very small. It wasn't good. We never made a good bottle of wine. Sorry, dad. It was always bad. We tried really hard. Right. 
So I want to know who wins, the cougar or the llama? Um, the llamas never died of cougar attacks. They died of old age. So well, I don't know if they, I don't know if there was any like hand-to-hand combat. That was that what I was going to ask. There was no like, like, did the llama have like injuries, you know, like, like no, scratches, wake remember. up in the morning and be like all <laughs> fucked up from his cougar fight? No, but we did, we did have, because uh, they scream, they sound like humans, mountain lions, when they, they like yell. It sounds like a woman screaming. It's very unsettling. Wow. And we had them a lot when I was little. And our other problem was like coyotes would come in and they like, they love the chickens. I think that was why my mom wouldn't let us eat them because she was like in a war with the coyotes of, of raising the chickens to maturity. Right. Interesting. Wow. So she I grew up less farm than this story sounds. Like, like, I grew up in the capital city, the like big city. Like I did big city stuff. I was just on the edge of town. Was your was your high school and middle school? Because I've heard, I mean, this is where I'm going to sound very foreign, but I've heard that sometimes in the US there's like farm classes in school. Did your school have that kind of stuff? Did you go you to- don't like- sound foreign at all. That's okay. an honest question. I get okay. that a lot. You really? Oh, okay. My school didn't because, again, I was in a major metropolitan city, but every other school district in the state did. So FFA is a big deal, Future Farmers of America, and 4-H, where you raise a cow, chicken, or goat from birth to to auction at Mm -hmm. the, like, farm or at the fair. I didn't do that because I had that at home, and Mm -hmm. I wasn't wildly into it. So I did, like, theater and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So my school didn't because we were in charge of like bringing all the oxy into town. That was our high school. Oh, that's what you guys, you guys were like. Oh, the cool school. Action. Yeah. Um, but just outside of town, like everywhere else, that's how kids paid for college is you would raise a cow or goat or whatever. Cows is where you made money. You raise a cow and then you sold it at the farm auction or at the fair or wherever your local fair was. And then I would pay for basically your first year of college. Um, we, I was in a sorority and we had a girls leave all the time to like go and sell their cows. It depends on the breed and the size, but you could make a couple grand. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Oh, you know, I went to the university of Wisconsin and they had an agricultural fraternity on campus and it wouldn't surprise did something like that because they also had like a caddies uh thing where anytime any of the donors or trustees had come to town they'd take one of the caddies and help them golf and they'd pay their whole ride you know just being in a caddy fraternity um so the farm thing wouldn't surprise me either i never thought of it as like any more than they took agricultural classes or whatever but that makes sense my college, my college had departments dedicated to agriculture, and we had two farm fraternities. We had Farmhouse and Alpha Gamma Rho. ADR. That's the one we had. Yep, Alpha Gamma. Farm fraternities, like what? They were ag Their boys. Party so different. Like what? They all looked exactly like deacons, basically. Ah. <laughs> like visual. <laughs> and they could talk to you about like tractors trucks and cows and that's kind of it but that was the, their jam and um there's there's a there's a lot of let me just slip into my old job of recruitment through my university we offer a wide range of degrees in relationship mm-hmm. to agriculture 
Mm-hmm. We offer like agribusiness, um, ag economics, ag science. So that's all like geared towards kids who are just showing up to school to get a degree and then they're going to go home and they're going to run the family farm. Right. Um, some of, cause you now do, it's, it's very tech heavy. Farm is very tech heavy these days. There are computer programs to like fly the, the crop duster, um, yeah. to do predictions on, on what you need to plant and where, what you're selling and who you're selling it to. Um, most of the business kids had a, had a, like an ag background. Um, that that's very common. And a lot of kids dropped out after a year or two because they had learned what they had wanted to. And they're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to run the farm anyway. I don't need this. Right. I need to pay for extra years of college. Basically. Interesting. What was your major in college? Um, I was English and history and I had a minor in religious studies. Uh, Cause I fell in love with a couple professors and I just followed them around until I was done Religion. school. Sure. The religion professors yeah i had um i had a couple of religion professors that i was really obsessed with one of them was sayani Dasgupta. she was an atheist hindu like from india and we bonded on the first day of school because i was wearing a flogging molly t-shirt which is a band uh-huh. um and i was sitting in the front row and she asked us all to introduce us and she like stopped me before i said anything and she was like who's molly and like why do you hate her so much <laughs> She was doing, this is like her fifth language by now. She spoke a lot of languages. She was a hard ass. Every spelling, grammar, everything had to be perfect. She's like, I learned your language. You're going to learn mine. This is not that hard. Keep up. Um, And it's it's really interesting learning religion in a small town Christian community. Yeah. uh, Because it makes you think about things more. Because a professor is doing more, I think, explaining than you would like at a liberal arts school. Because it's the first time sometimes these kids have heard of like Judaism or Hinduism or, or any of this stuff. And so you really like, it makes you think a lot harder. Right. Right. Were there a lot of kids like that, like in your high school? Like what, what was that like? Because you, you seem like you're, you're a very open-minded person. You don't strike me. I don't, maybe you were, but you don't strike me as someone who was maybe like raised extremely conservatively. And if you were, obviously I think you're natural, you're natural sort of being is not necessarily that way. So what was it like, were you different in that sense? So I grew up Catholic and the community I was in, Catholic was a minority. The majority of kids I went to high school with were Mormon. And that's, that's pretty common in Idaho. Um, so we, this is how white where, where I'm from is. We couldn't hate each other based on what skin color you were we had to subdivide by church. So we had, I had rules in my, like there was a a fake rule in case my mother listens to this. I know it was fake Lisa, a fake rule that I wasn't allowed to date Mormons because that would be bad. Right. Because they were crazy. They are not crazy. Most of them are very nice people. Some of them are just like everybody of any religion. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I, I grew up Catholic enough that we went to mass, but I gave up pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, once I learned you couldn't be Pope as a girl, it was, I was kind of done. I was like, it's, I can't be in hard. charge of everyone. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard. In the big, I feel like Catholicism, I was raised like weirdly, like half, half Christian, half, half Catholic, but I grew up in super Catholic countries. So I feel like Catholicism is really cool until you're like 12 
yeah. you have like first communion and you get to wear the dress and like all that stuff. And then when you're like 12, you're like, hold up. Like there's a lot of stuff that suddenly starts to click and you're like, wait. I was doing really well for a while. Like I thought God personally talked to me. That was my right. inner monologue. I was like, I'm, this is going to be great. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be Pope. I'm going to be the next Jesus. Like I was like real right. into it. Right. And then the fissure started and I was getting in trouble with Sunday school a lot because I had a lot of questions and we, we weren't Jesuit enough that you could ask questions. Right. Like I was, I didn't understand why Abraham was allowed to take his son up and threaten to kill him. I thought that was inappropriate. Yeah. I wanted to call child protective services. Right. <laughs> right. What was the whole thing. Right. <laughs> I, I got in trouble because we went to the library and I was like, where does the Bible go? Is it fiction or nonfiction? And then they were like, it's nonfiction. I was like, well, Benicula says on page one that it's a true story. It's yeah. in the fiction department. And then I went to like Bible camp, someone else's Bible camp. Mm-hmm. And I got in trouble because I was Catholic and I memorized a wrong section or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they all prayed over me because Jesus didn't love Catholics. And then I was like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has prayed over me. I feel really done right. with God. Um and, and then in college, I like sort of, it's not that I went back to believe in God, but it became an interesting book. And like, I, I wanted to know how other people believed about things. And like, I took a lot of philosophy classes mm-hmm. and that's like kind of what religious studies means is that you, you, it's like a little bit of history. You learn what's happening that makes everyone think that what they're reading is normal. And that's a little bit of philosophy of like, we're so lonely. We're so lonely. And we look up at the sky and there are stars and we tell ourselves little stories. And what do those little stories have to do with each other? Mm-hmm. And it's very human. Mm-hmm. And um, I took a, a lot of religion classes. Mm-hmm. And cultures have their ways of figuring that out. So did anybody Mormon ever try to convert you that you grew up with? All the time. Yeah. Uh, I really, I had a crush on this boy in math class and we talked all the time and he really just wanted to take me to church Yeah. I was crushed. And then he never talked to me again once I was like, I don't want to do that. And he was like, I'm not, aren't I great? And he was like, no, I was just trying to save you. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have, um, my mom's brother converted to Mormonism. So I have a whole, I have an uncle and a whole Mormon family and there have been some times where you know I we would go visit them in Utah and I'd try to get you well <laughs> your dad had a rule you said right no dating Mormons Caitlin is that right yeah not what that was- they would have dated me because I would have had to go to to church with them and I'm a bad right. liar so but was your dad ever like you think you're the only one this guy's with or what was it kind of pitched like that like polygamy no <laughs> no so that's that's <laughs> fundamentalist um okay no i know there's, ha- i watched big love but go on <laughs> i loved big love uh there weren't a lot of fundamentalists where i was we were this was like very squeaky um everything in idaho is mostly run by the church um like everyone in politics this is how much church there was like the and by church i mean the mormon church all the Mormon kids were allowed to take a class during public school that was at the church across the street. And every school had a church across the street and every school had to let those Mormon kids out during that time to go to church across the street. Wow. So no, I hung out with like, I hung out with uh, like goth kids in junior high 
right and then like very gangly weird like theater kids so no one mormons were all in the choir i couldn't sing Mm -hmm. we didn't really interact a lot i was not cool (laughs) in i learned we had a baseball team after i graduated i just like really Mm -hmm. had my window of people Mm -hmm. and in theater you did did you do mostly acting type of stuff or did you do producing type of stuff also i did mostly backstage during school and then Mm -hmm. and then eventually i like walked walked on stage Mm -hmm. and then in the summers i um i worked with a with a production company they're based in new york id theater I think they have a new name out at it theater at the time. And they did a like two or three week conference in McCall, Idaho, which is two hours North. It's like a resort town mm-hmm. where they do development theaters. So they do new works. And I did like production with them. I like printed scripts That's and cool. got coffee and stuff like that. That's yeah. Cool. It was, it was the first time that you would like interact with people who get paid to do something creative, something that like you view as like a cute little hobby and right. they're like, no, this is my nine to five. This is my job. Right. Which is such a cool thing to be exposed to when you're little. And that that was an option. That people just like got paid to be funny and right. cry on stage and stuff. Right. Right. I remember I didn't really like, I had that same reaction because I went to, uh, I, I went to a British school in Mexico and British schools, if you do anything acting wise or performance wise it's all about theater because they're very like so my school was very like theater and my parents didn't let me pursue any real acting work until I turned 18. So I didn't so my only you know I only did like theater summer camps and only theater I didn't really do anything related to like movies or film and then when I got to college I I picked up a minor in film because I didn't, and I started, cause I was taking so many film classes. Cause I was like, oh wait, this is an art form. Like this isn't, because like the way like in England, sort of like the way that they teach you theater, it's like, oh, well, film is just what you do to make money. But then I was like, oh no, this is, this is its own art form and you can get paid. Like that's, so all the movies I watch doesn't mean I'm too lazy to like, read it to plays yeah like I that could be respect I thought that was like one of the coolest things when I went to college and I feel like that's really important because you know in a a lot of these circles like you don't know that this can be a real thing yeah uh my my aunt runs ran the the company the like theater company and so I got to go up when I was like very little and my cousin my cousin was grew up in New York so she did like commercials and stuff and then Mm -hmm. she was in a movie when we were really little Mm -hmm. um and like, but I was such a, I was such a weird kid. I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer the whole time. Like I was like, I'm going to, I want an assistant I want a nine to five. I was like a seven-year-old was very obsessed with dental insurance. Like I was very <laughs> worried about retirement. <laughs> I wanted a savings account. Right. My thank you cards from age like four to 20 was just like, thank you so much for the check. It is going in my savings account. I value you, right? Like it was, I was so locked down, even though my parents are very nice. They're very encouraging. They're like, you should go to, you know, spend your summers doing this stuff. Right. And it was me. It was all me. I got to get to DC. I got to get a rat race. I got to, I got to get a cubicle. Where are my post-it notes? Wow. So <laughs> and it didn't work, but. 
would you say in terms of all of that? Are you still thinking that rigid career path or are you just all in it with comedy now and or one foot in, one foot out? What would you say? I mean, I think there's still a lot of me is still that seven year old who's very worried about dental insurance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good that's a good worry. Obviously, not a worry a seven year old should have, but a good worry to have in general. Yeah. Um, I, I like having a career that is fulfilling. Um, and I think I'll probably keep having a salaried career. Mm-hmm. I really like comedy and I, I want to see this through as far as it takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like health insurance and I really like 401ks and investments. I love, I love a stock portfolio. Oh, me and you. Better I was gonna say you and PD, you and PD are gonna bond on this. PD's PD's a hundred percent with you on all that stuff. I bought like sixty shares of Delta like two or three days after the lockdown happened. It bottomed mm-hmm. out, and I was like, the airlines are coming back. We need to be buying stocks. Yeah, you gotta buy Boeing. They make the fucking planes. You know what I mean? The airlines are one thing, but Boeing's where I put my sloth of money there. Boeing is a big employer out West. So huge. Mm -hmm. It's a a good investment. (laughs) Hell yeah. We'll talk more back to business. Yeah. Yeah, But Petey, you're, you're into that. I mean, I mean, Petey and I have talked talked about this a lot. Like Petey likes having his job. You know, I have to say like part of me likes that too, but I've been living the sort of like artist life since I graduated college, but then I married into the safety. So I am also a little bit like that too, you know? So, so I don't know, talk with both of you guys. Like, why do you think that's so important to have? Because a lot of people are like, fuck it. I'm just gonna, I've seen a lot of people like quit great jobs for comedy, for acting too. But like and for that- comedy, I've seen people like a year in be like quit great jobs and like just walk dogs or something today. Which is amazing. I right. I envy the calm those people must have in their bodies that I've never at any point experienced in my life mm-hmm. ever. Um, I couldn't imagine doing that because I get worried all the time. I get worried about everything. My job right now is loosely conditional because I work I work following the election calendar, which means I'm about to hit the like unemployment where you get hired and for a new cycle somewhere and that to me is i'm in stress hives about it so i couldn't imagine living that 24 7 um i like a consistency i think it's also i i've asked around apparently i was funny before i moved to dc but i didn't feel funny until i got here and had a steady job so i don't know how much of this is coming from like because I, I needed to feel funny. I needed like a pressure of, of a boring to become funny. If that makes sense. I'm using a lot of hand gestures. No, I think, I think, what, I think what you, I think it's a certain sense of, cause I've actually, it's so weird to talk about this. Cause I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately is sort of like that feeling safe, right? Like I did acting forever and always thought about seeing the comedy forever, but I just never, I, I felt like I didn't feel safe enough in also like emotionally in my you know until I like got married and have sort of like this like stable home and stable family like that was when I finally felt sort of like the safety and security to 
actually go out and try stand-up comedy even though I'd have been sort of around it for years yeah I think some people thrive in chaos and some yeah. people thrive next to chaos and yeah. I thrive next to chaos yeah. I want to talk to the person smoking a cigarette at a party I don't want the cigarette right. I want to be right next to what's happening right but like I've had a lot of chaos in my life in DC I was like in between places for a while I was in between right. jobs and at those moments in my life the only thing I could focus on was like getting through the day totally. and getting the thing I needed and I know and there are people that don't act like that and really thrive when their life is on fire and right. I love those people and sometimes those people are so funny yes I'm not that person right. if I'm not well I don't, I, I, I cannot fake an emotion when I'm mad. Yeah. I'm furious. Right. <laughs> and when I'm good, I'm great. Right. And yeah. Yeah. I think it's great that you figure that out. I feel like it took me a really long time to figure that out because I was like all chaos all the time for a very long time. And then as my, my life slowly, like I'm sober now, like slowly step-by-step, step, you know, I've been sober for a long time now, but sort of like step-by-step it's gotten like less, I've gotten like out of that chaos. And I feel like I'm becoming not necessarily, I'm definitely not, I've had phases where I've, where I've been much more financially successful, but like where I'm doing things that are much more true to myself. And I feel like I'm way better at comedy, comedy. than I was at like Spanish soap opera acting, you know, stuff like, and I feel like the reason I sort of got into like the shows and stuff that I did before was kind of what you're talking about because I was just so like what 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 a job okay <laughs> okay I'll dedicate all my time for five years to this but it's do I like doing it I don't know like right and then once things get a little when you feel safe I feel like you I can thrive more but there's some people that don't PD what do you think I mean, my opinion on this is I've lived in chaos, as you say. I've been not sober for a long time back in the day, and I paid the price from that. And, you know, I would reflect on times before that when I had more structure. And even though it wasn't always as exciting and you, I had gone through a lot of the stuff that I went through when I was, you know, tearing stuff up um, – but I didn't realize that those were better times. And then after I got – sober and all that I kind of learned that discipline worked and when I got into comedy it was just a dare I didn't expect any of this to go any place it was and then it kept happening and I was like holy shit I love this but in terms of quitting like a whole job I, I can't do it you know I have to have some structure throughout my day and some sense of like being compensated for my time and everything like that so that if comedy turns out to be whatever i know there's people that say you got to cut the whole safety net i disagree i read this one book about how artists work and it talks about like 102 different routines of famous people some comics some actors some novelists and there were a few people in there that you know, worked real jobs. Um, I think Anthony Trollope, for example, the old English writer had a job with like the British Postal Service, if I'm getting that right. And there was like another one, I think Wallace Stegner was like an insurance salesman. And then they would write for three hours a day. I mean, they when you set that time where you can, you know, for me, discipline kind of makes more freedom. But if I have all the time in the world to just dick off, I'll do that. And I've proven that to myself and then I'll be nothing. Right. 
if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and I, know, I, but I, think, sense. I think also, Caitlin, like what you said about being next to the chaos, like that's also like, I still kind of need that. If, like, if, like if you're doing comedy at all, comedy at all, you need a little chaos, you know, you need some yeah. chaos. Like I love the idea, like when I think about my future, like I love the idea of like, Stepford mom by day and comedian by night. It's like a superhero. Yeah. You I'd, know? Watch, I'd watch that show. Yeah. Right. Right. I feel like, I feel like that's cause I need that like, you know, sort of like boring, you know, I don't, but like stability, extreme stability with like extreme crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I talk about this sometimes on stage, like I first learned this in like junior high. I spent all day with kids from like rough backgrounds. They were all doing drugs or drinking during school. Mm -hmm. Someone was always like about to get pregnant or had gotten punched or something. Mm -hmm. And they were all like vampire freaks. They were like hardcore like goth kids with the, the makeup and the corsets over their clothes. And I would go home and I would hang out with purity ring cheerleaders. I was neither of these things. Mm-hmm. I read Twilight to keep up. Right. I could quote a verse <laughs> right. of literature. I like I identified with neither of these people, but I loved the chaos of going from group to group. Right. I loved how <laughs> topsy turvy it felt to like follow these two like completely insane worldviews that were not going to hold up forever. But they right. just like felt like they had to keep these like tiny circles moving. Right. And I've, I've done some version of that at all points. Like mm-hmm. I work a very corporate boring job and then I go and I hang out with a bunch of like 30 year olds pretending to that they're 19 mm-hmm. <laughs> and like getting drunk at the bottom of a bar. And I'm like, I'm neither of these people. And I love this moment in the middle of between yes. these two things. Right. Right. But some of you, but you are, you are something in the middle of those two. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, com- it's comforting. To be around it is. the mess, right? Yeah, I mean, I, so I, your, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I did, I've done DC without comedy, and we've all been experiencing a version of DC without comedy right now. Right. And True. I, comedy wasn't adding chaos to my life. It was a way for me to act out in a way that was still like structured. I was acting out not by like drinking and, and, staying out late and doing drugs. I wasn't doing any of those things. I mean, I was staying out late, but mm-hmm. I was acting out by being next to things and, and, and making people laugh and, and having a little bit of control and power over people, like an audience, not like people. I really only produce one show, but mm-hmm. <laughs> having that is, uh, is intoxicating in, in a way that's like, it's healthy. It's still structured. It has a start time and a stop time. I know exactly where I am at all times, but I get to do the little chaotic thing. I get to be a little bit toxic a little bit like not great and I like that version of me so much more than just the like corporate button down right than just the dental insurance yeah I agree with that I like a little rocket fuel at the end of every day you know get up crush a set and hang out with some deadbeats you know it's all right obviously obviously not everyone's a deadbeat most of most of everyone is is wonderful and they're very nice (laughs) and i care about all of them sure they know i'm (laughs) kidding (laughs) so what are your but here's my question right like what are your goals with comedy um 
2020 had a set list of concrete goals. I adorably wrote them down. Oh, I do that every year. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want 25 minutes and an opportunity to share that on stage at least once. I want to go to New York six times. Oh, you um, said a number. That's good. A number. Yeah, and yeah. I had two under my belt and a third planned Shit. before the lockdown. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the third, I don't remember the third. I think it was, it was a set number I wanted to hit mm-hmm. of like total sets. Oh, for the year? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's smart. I never thought about counting the actual sets per year. Did you count? Have you counted your sets per year before? Yeah. Um, it was, I was on uh, the like ramp up part where you're like doing too many sets to also work. Yes. And so it was like I, the number, I don't, I don't have it written down in front of me, but the number was somewhere between like an insane amount every week and then dialed back where I was like, I'm going to take two days off a month to really like nothing's allowed in on that day. Yeah. That I don't already have something planned, like not counting weddings and stuff, but I don't remember the number, but like I, cause it gets, once you're, once you're like in the like ramp up part, you're like, I could do 10, 12 sets a week. You just do that forever. That sounds great. What if it was like 15? What if I just like added and added and added? Right, right, right. And then you're like, are you, are you giving yourself time to write? Are we breathing? Have you listened back to any of these sets? No, there's a, there's a point where it becomes too many. And I hit that point and then I dialed it back for a little bit and then I hit it again and then the pandemic happened. There, there's a point where you're just doing too much comedy and it actually is making your comedy worse. I, I like went back and I, it was like a Saturday and I had hit two birthday parties and then I went and did three sets and then I like raced across town to go to like one more event and I like crawled into bed to get up early the next day to like write it to like sit down and have a writing group to then run across town. It was like, this is, yeah, we're hitting too many things. You can either have friends or not, but we gotta, you gotta, we can't do five events in one night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It gets crazy. But now I would do that in a heartbeat because I right. loved doing it. Right. That's my like fantasy is that, that I'm at work. And I get a text and it's like an invitation to a party and I go home and I sit on the end of my bed and go, do I even want to go? I have so many things to do tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish. Right. That's like what happened. I've talked about this on this, on this podcast before, but I started doing comedy way too quickly after having a baby, but like, thank God I did. If not, I probably would not have done any comedy for like six months in 2020 or whatever. But I think there's a point where you can like, really push yourself. I mean, I just couldn't emotionally, I started doing it so soon. My hormones were all over the place that I could not emotionally handle the environment of comedy. Like I would come home crying every time. And it was like that when it's like, really, when your mental health is like, is like not right. Like you can dial it back and maybe do three sets a week. Your, your sets are better when you care and you're not spending the whole time being like, am I going to find parking at the next place? Yeah. Did, did I say that? Did I say it in the order I thought I was going to? I, I practiced yeah. on the way in, but like I'm, I'm late and I got to get to the next thing. And like for me, cause I like structure. Um, I was like, I, this was my plan for 2020 is I wanted to find the number that worked for me that still felt like I was grinding. I was trying hard. 
mm-hmm. doing, you know, more sets so that I was pushing myself, but not mm-hmm. so many that I was just getting a lost in a wash of like, what am I doing? And so I didn't cheat that because now I would take more, literally. Right. <laughs> you count it more in actual sets, not in nights. Cause like, I don't count, right. I don't count so much sets. I count it by like nights and every, and a night, like I'll give comedy its own night. And like, however many sets I can get in that night, it's comedy. Well, I have, I have less connections than you. So <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, I can sometimes get two or three a night, but that's inconsistent. It's normally one or maybe two. Right. Um, not on the, like on a regular weekday. So I think of it more as sets. If I'm hitting 10 sets a week, a is that more or less? Um, and yeah, that was, that was the, like, that was in the initial high goal. And then like, right. how do I dial that back so that I am going out less nights and I'm doing more sets. Right. But I didn't have a car for a long time and you got to rely on other people and you spend much time on the subway. And then you're like, I just dropped $7 to get from point A to point B to do three minutes. And then, and then what are we doing? Yeah, it's a lot of Uber money. It's a lot of Uber money. Too. Um, yeah, it was supposed to be cheap bitch 2020. I was like, I'm never going to take the Uber again. I'm going to bike everywhere. Be insanely late. It'll be terrible. Right. That was my plan. Would you say you've been getting since the pandemic weekly? Uh, one, sometimes two, a very exciting week, three. That's really good. You don't have more connections than me. That's the same. Yeah. In the before, there were there was more. There were more right. people to talk to. Now you're like, I already bothered the four people I know. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll just wait a few more weeks and I'll right. bother them again. <laughs> right. Or I love when you think you're with the creative person being like, hey, like I did this today. I reached out to someone today who's doing shows in New York. And I was like, look, because I'm trying to do more stuff in New York. And I was like, hey you know, any spot, any time. And it was like, dude, you're number 12 of today. Message me. I'll get you on a list. It was like, whoa, those four people are being a producer right now. I mean, we had Mike Kurtz on the show a few episodes ago, being a comedy producer right now must be insane. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I, I produced uh, the Living Room Show with Jenny Questel. Which is a great show. And Jenny great was show. And Jenny's I, amazing. Yeah. Uh, she's the light and love of my life. Uh, she's the best business partner there is. Mm-hmm. Um, did I say that right, Jenny? Did I say the script correctly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think before the pandemic, people still like slid in your DMs. And they were like, hey, I noticed I haven't been booked yet. And you're like, that was an interesting way to ask a question. Um, <laughs> but I can only imagine what it's like for the New York people because we all we only we're not we're not there so we're just going out right. to bother people right and they have they don't have lawns they just have roofs right right has your has have you been getting like way more dms and requests for your guys' show now not really uh not as not I think we've established that we're not booking slowly on, on DMS, you know, like Jenny, I have a, a like a, a sit down and we come up with a list of people every time. So, mm-hmm. but I noticed when we, when we first started, like we put on the for very first one a year ago and immediately people were like, I want on this. And you're like, well, we haven't even said this is anything. We just threw some rugs down in a living room. 
-hmm. this isn't these are just our friends we haven't built an audience yet Mm -hmm. um but it it taught me a year ago because I'm really bad at asking for time it doesn't occur to me that I should be asking producers I like live in like a little good girl world where if you know people will think of me and that's not always there's a there's a middle ground in between being annoying and not asking for time um and so right after that first living room show and we got like an influx of like I'd love to be on I was like oh it's no one cares I can ask people and no one's gonna think I'm annoying no no one remembers you that's the one thing that I learned from acting that really helps in comedy is just like in the, I mean, in this job in general, and him, like no one remembers you exist. You just have to remind people you exist. How you exist all the time. Very nicely, time. very politely, exactly. just like, hey, what's up? I'm a person. You remember right. that, right? And right. people are like, oh my god, I do remember that, right? Let right. me help you out, right? That's, <laughs> that's all it is. That's all it is. You know, people don't. If you're a new comic and you're worried about it, like don't, don't take it personal. Like you're just reminding people that you exist. People yes. have their own lives, have their own shit. They don't remember you just remind them and don't be mad if nothing happens you reminded them they were they remembered that's where you want to be we don't get the level that like kurtz gets because kurtz and and jack are doing like every week right um you guys are doing pretty often now though right we're looking at monthly we're obviously gonna have to start winding down at some point uh because it's cold right but as my roommate pointed out people were willing to sit out they knew it was going to be cold no one's shocked that Mm -hmm. it's cold outside well, your neighbors just, across the way have that fire pit and everything. I mean, they... So we started doing it at Jenny's place because my place required a lot of prep. I baked everyone a dozen cookies to ask them not to call the police if we were loud. <laughs> um, really? Because I'm on you like and I, a, You and I live really, I won't say where, but you and I live really close by each other and live in similar, like the way it's yeah. the structure of everything. And I thought about doing something, but I was like, how do you not get the neighbors to... Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, it's chocolate chip cookies mm-hmm. and some non-chocolate cookies for the people I thought might have allergies. You can tell. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then there's like a very nice Chinese family and I baked them some biscotti because I was right. like, I really want you to like me. I'm going to really try with this batch. We're not going with the like boring, you're getting top-notch biscotti. And it worked. No one, A, no one came. No one in the neighborhood popped outside. And then B, no one called the police, which is really what that's, I was looking That's for. big, though. Did you, did you, like, have, like, a little, did you, did you do, like, a letter on the cookies? Just be, like, I hand wrote, I hand wrote a full page explaining that if anyone felt uncomfortable because of corona, you know, like, please let me know and we can make adjustments and no one's going to be on your property and um we'll be over before 10 for the sound ordinance and like there will be some like impolite words so if you have small children stick a movie in front of them because we're going to be loud wow yeah that's pretty cool did you ever think of just giving some liquor to the police you know cut out the middleman (laughs) um no, I was raised by a family of prosecutors and defense attorneys. And uh, that means we were raised with very strong feelings about the police, both negative and positive. Right. And in a real don't bother them in any way is the best way to handle. Avoid them Do at not, all costs. Yeah, avoid at all costs. I used to wear a shirt when I was very little because my, my uncle was a prosecutor that said not guilty, just one of the usual suspects, which didn't age well. It continued to age very poorly right. but they sold that at the prosecutor's gift shop 
Wow. Why did we have a prosecutor gift shop? An excellent question. Yeah. I don't know. That's where I was going to that. Yeah, there was one I used to see for a lawyer that was like, just because uh, you did it doesn't mean you're guilty. Call this number. Wow. A much better gift shop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My dad was like uh, a communications specialist uh, for the army. And he'd get really mad when we watched cop shows because he was like, that's not improper. That's not proper investigation technique. You need to be like applying to their sense of loyalty or whatever. So he really got very into the cop show mentality. Anyway, no, I, I never bribed a police officer also because that's a felony. Um, oh. Yeah, I learned, that was another that was another interesting thing that I learned moving here. I was like, oh, that's not that's not a regular thing. People actually trust these guys. And now that now we find out that they don't. No, uh, but also don't don't bribe them. Cookies no. are easy. I I buy flour and sugar at Costco, so like that's right. That was one of the personalities I tried on before comedy was right. baking. Baking. So. Okay. Nice. I made a um, what kind of what a focaccia bread for the first time yesterday. Amazing. Do, what recipe did you try? I found I used it. I found it on Goop, of course. Okay, the salt, acid, fat, heat recipe is the best okay for the record i'll use that because that because it was like the consistency was fine but it needed more salt that was my yeah i have a feeling that gwyneth does not know the appropriate salt or fat ratios right right yeah the the salt the salt was was lacking but it got eaten uh i'm i'm very boring now sunday used to be like a very set schedule involved cafe saint x two shows and then like writing and now it's like i make a soup and a bread we hang out sounds I miss comedy a lot some pretty good dishes online she's a Who? hell of a right jenny your your business partner yes jenny jenny loves an italian american dish i don't love an italian american dish oh it's the best Whoa. which is what? a crime in some communities but Whoa. but jenny jenny does post a lot jenny jenny's a very good cook she mm-hmm. cooks a lot. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite kind of dish to cook? Um, I, I they start out as the same dish. Uh, Cooking is a lot like art, you know. Like it, yeah. It's a lot of improv. So yeah. I like spices. I like. I really like fennel and cumin. Mm-hmm. Um, so like maybe I'll make sausage with fennel, and uh, I got fennel like bulbs the other day, and I chopped that up, fried that up with some. Some like onion carrot mixture. Sounds delicious. Sounds delicious. Well, we want to thank Caitlin for being on our episode today. And thanks for coming and telling us all about Idaho. Yes. And please don't move about- there. Please yeah. visit. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> the greatest little ambassador for Idaho. Uh, where can people get at you? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Caitlin underscore McDevitt. And I'm on Twitter at McDevitt comedy and I might get a TikTok, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. The pressure is intense. I feel like I should start one, but I don't have one yet. Cool. And when's the next show? Oh, or- and sorry. And uh, Jenny and I produce shows at the Living Room DC. We I think are having one on November seventh, but you can follow us on Instagram for more updates. Very good. All right. Sounds great. All right, everybody, keep listening. We have more guests every week. Our episodes are longer, more in-depth now because we aren't allowed in the green room in Arlington yet. But 
Keep listening. We love you guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye.